PE is evolving um, as we have more opportunities to share with the research practitioners in our field. Um, I think we need to be more trusting of what the research is telling us and not be stuck in the bubble of, of repeating what the, the sort of PE that maybe we had as children, which was very sports and team-based focused. I think PE is about trying to make movement a space where children can see themselves as the hero of that picture. I think often we see, especially in middle school and high school, I see a lot of kids who see themselves as the comic extra in the film. Um, they are the sidekick to this true hero of an athlete um, and they cannot see how they fit into the narrative of that physical education story. This is the Fizz Edcast with your host, Nathan Horn. Happy New Year and welcome to the Phys Ed Cast for 2021. My name is Nathan Horn from iPhysEd.com and thank you so much for joining us for our first episode of 2021. I have a, a, a truth to tell. I actually recorded this episode um, at the end of 2020 and I'm just getting it out now. Uh, it was with somebody who I consider to be a, a close friend and an amazing physical educator. Her name is Mel Hamada. She has experience teaching in a number of different places around the world, uh, from China to Japan, the United Kingdom, Tanzania, Vietnam, and Australia, where she's originally from. In this episode, uh, it was great to catch up with Mel after a couple of years of not uh, having the opportunity to chat with each other. Um, but every time I have had the, the pleasure of being in Mel's company, I have not only learned so much from her, but just enjoyed uh, our conversations. So I really hope you enjoyed this episode. We're going to be talking a little bit about the unique situation that Mel currently finds herself in, uh, teaching virtually from another country, from the one that she uh, she's contracted to, to teach in, um, as well as just her constant um, pursuit of, of excellence. She is constantly trying to improve herself, improve her teaching, um, and also improve herself as an athlete. She's recently got into triathlons and running and racing, um, and that has become a real big passion in her life, which she'll speak about as well. Um, I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Mel Hamada. Now, before we get started with Mel, today's episode is brought to you by the Phys Ed Library. For the past eight years, I've been producing resources, teaching online courses, creating games, and giving you assessment tools and templates to use in your classes. Sometimes finding what you're looking for to help you become a better teacher can be really difficult and at best downright confusing. Knowing where to go for purposeful physical education resources can really take you down the rabbit hole of Google, Twitter, and Facebook groups. I think I've solved that problem for you. The Phys Ed Library is our comprehensive collection of professional learning resources. That's right, every single resource that I've ever made is part of the Phys Ed Library. That includes all of my online courses and webinars, our games database full of purposeful games, assessment tools and templates, downloadable visuals, podcasts, webinars, and so much more. Maybe you've taken one of our courses before, maybe you've been lucky enough to come to our in-person workshops. Right now we have 35 online courses available for you, each with certificates of completion presented by some of the best physical educators from all around the world. Perhaps you're looking for some games to play with your classes. Our growing games database is full of quality games presented in easy to use one page game sheets, which include at home and social distance modifications. Perhaps you're looking for some assessment tools to print and use in your lessons. Look no further than the Phys Ed Library. 
Memberships are available on a monthly, yearly, or lifetime basis, as well as our ever-popular group membership option. That's right, you and your colleagues can join together to gain access as a department for the Phys Ed Library. We have a number of schools and districts from all around the world who have taken advantage of this offer and got their entire PE departments signed up as members of the Phys Ed Library. Our library currently has 400 committed physical educators as part of our community and as a member of the Phys Ed Library, you're able to connect and communicate with each one of these amazing physical educators from all around the world. As the creator of the Phys Ed Library, obviously I'm quite biased, but uh, here's what some of our members have to say. Well, Nathan, I just want to thank you for uh, making iPhysEd.com available to all of us. Um, I truly enjoy this website that you've created. Um, right off the bat, uh, one thing that I can tell you that I love about this site is the uh, online training. Um, I've only completed five courses so far of the 35 that you offer, but I love the certificates. Um, and I've been able to turn these in. Uh, to use as professional development uh, with my school that I teach at North Bullet High School here in Bullet County, Kentucky. Uh, and for you guys that have never heard of Bullet County, Kentucky, we're right outside of Louisville, Kentucky. And um, this is my 23rd year of teaching. I would have never, I never could have imagined when I first started teaching that uh, how everything has changed from going from paper grade books to all electronic, to going from strictly teaching in my gym to now teaching online. And to be able to access these resources, uh, it's a true game changer. The assessments are another of my favorites. And then I also love the games database. That has been great as well. But my favorite aspect this year has been the, uh, the online courses that you've made available to us. Thank you so much. If you're interested in signing up for the Phys Ed Library, head on over to iphysed.com backslash learn to get started. And now over to Mel. Mel, how's it going? Hi, Nathan. It's going well, thank you. It's sunny here in Canberra. It's deceiving, actually. It's cold outside, but it's beautifully sunny with the most amazing blue sky. It's something that I take with me whenever I leave this shore, this blue sky. I want to dive into a little bit about where you are and why you are where you are a little bit later. But um, before we do, I guess for those people, I'm, I'm very fortunate to, to know you and we've known each other for a number of years. And we were just commenting before we started on how it's been a, been a couple of years since we've, we've caught up. Um, but uh, for those people that don't know you, can you give us a little bit of background about who you are and, and where you've been and um, sort of the, the story of Mel in a, in a short amount of time? Okay. Short amount of time. <laughs> well, take as long as you need. Oh, right? no. That's okay. Uh, I am Mel Hamada uh, and I am a PE and health teacher. Currently, I'm contracted to work in middle school PE at the International School of Beijing. Uh, my husband and I are international school educators. We've been living and working away from our home countries now for almost 20 years. Oh, can't believe it. Wow. Uh, and... In all that time, I have been really working hard to be, I don't know what the right word is, a passionate PE teacher, I guess. Um, I, I was saying to someone the other day, Nathan, I think I'm always second-guessing myself. I'm always wondering if what I'm doing is the right thing with the students that I have the responsibility and care for. How can I push my thinking and their thinking and how can I challenge them to be more wise in the ways of moving? and aware of themselves in movement and be more confident movers so that they're choosing to move um, and relish that choice. 
an opportunity that's presented to them. Um, I am fortunate enough to be married to a lovely American uh, who also works at my school and I have three children who are also students at my school. So we all get to hang out and love going to school together, which of course has its pros and cons as well. Um, when I'm not teaching or parenting or wifing, I am triathloning. Uh, I'm a very passionate um, age group athlete and I have found this year a little bit hard because all the races have, have dropped off the scene. Um, but I'm really hoping that we'll get back into gear and see more events opening up as we see pathways for that. Uh, but I would say, you know, that's part of my passion at the moment is really training and focused on just trying to be the best that I can be in our current situation. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. It was something that I was going to um, ask you a little bit about. But I think my overwhelming um, thoughts of when I think of you is just somebody who is just str- constantly striving for improvement, whether that's through your teaching practice or whether that's through your triathlons or being a parent or being a wife. Um, I think my experience in, in knowing you, you're definitely, um, I think you, you, you said it perfectly yourself. Like you're always wondering whether what you're doing is the best way to actually do something. So um, I'm sure as we go through this conversation, we'll dive more into some of the the things that you've wondered and some of the things that you've tried and some of the things Mm -hmm. that uh, maybe have worked and maybe have not worked. Um, But you mentioned that you are an international educator. I'm lucky enough to have sort of been within that scene and I've now sort of stepped out of it and and maybe we'll be heading back into it at some point, hopefully. But um, whereabouts have you taught um, around the world? Because I'm sure it's a pretty impressive list. Um, so I got my degree and started working in Australia and then I moved to Japan. Um, and I did a little stint there. That's when I discovered international schools and I was like, hello, why didn't anybody tell me this in the glossy brochures when we studied education at university in Canberra? Uh, education overseas is very different. Uh, international education Um, there's lots of different tiers of schools depending on the sort of tier you're looking for or the sort of adventure you're after. Um, My husband and I have really tried to work with schools that are either IBO or standards-based grading places that are non-profit um, who are really looking out for kids over like the whole person, the individualised approach, really making sure kids are getting the best out of life. Um, and pursuing something that they're passionate about. Um, We've been careful to choose schools that we think are best fit for us as a family. So I started in Japan. I met my husband there, but I then moved to England, did a stint there, uh, not at an international school, and I would not work in the UK again. Sorry, UK people. Um, And then I went to Tanzania, which is in East Africa, and spent four years there where I got married to Clint. And then we had our first child there, uh, and then we realised we were just so far away from family. It's a long way away, Tanzania from Australia and the US. So we moved to um, Vietnam, Hanoi. We spent seven years in Hanoi where we had our other two children. And then we moved to Yokohama in Japan, and we've now just moved to Beijing, uh, China. This is our fifth year there. Yeah, so in a pretty impressive uh, list of countries, Um I, like I, I mentioned, I had a pretty similar similar journey. Like went to university mm. in Australia, and and uh, unlike you, maybe we did have people come into our university and talk about, oh, hey, you want to go overseas. But go. having said that, it was, hey, do you want to go to the UK and be a supply teacher? Um, in oh, that's what UK I did. School? I would never do yeah. that again. No, yeah, no, it was. Uh, 
uh, I've talked about this before and like it was a very valuable learning experience and definitely gave me some skills as a teacher, but yeah, it wouldn't be something that I would desire to go back and do anytime soon. Um, but yeah, I, I also discovered international teaching there um, and that's where we cross paths um, throughout mm. that, that international scene. Um, it's a fantastic scene to be a part of and, and definitely if, if people are listening to this and they're interested in exploring that, I would definitely uh highly recommend that you that you um, explore that at some point in your career if, if, if that interests you. Um, so you talked about schools there, I guess, um, looking at the whole child and really being purposeful about the types of schools that you've chosen. Um, you touched a little bit on it at the start when I asked you about um, your background, but what would you say is your like overarching philosophy for physical education? Like what is physical education? What does it mean to you? I think PE is evolving. I think I'm going to start with sort of some caveats how I think we need to be more trusting of what the research is telling us and not be stuck in the bubble of, of repeating what the, the sort of PE that maybe we had as children, which was very sports and team-based focused. I think PE is about trying to make movement a space where children can see themselves as the hero of that picture. I think often we see especially in middle school and high school, I see a lot of kids who see themselves as the comic extra in the film. Um, They are the sidekick to this true hero of an athlete um, and they cannot see how they fit into the narrative of that physical education story. And I think a lot of kids feel like that. Even kids who are athletically talented, they don't see themselves identifying in that way whether that's because the media has portrayed athleticism in a certain way and they can't feel connected to that, um, I'm not sure. But I think in PE we need to take kids, we need to give them identity and purpose as moving young people and we need to try a lot of different approaches to ensure that they feel the hero in that athletic story. Um, they don't have to be the most talented athlete, but they, I want them to come back and continue to try being athletic movers and finding the joy of that. Um, I think Kretschmer, when he talks about doing a deep dive in really the subculture of an activity or a sport, I, I really want kids to, to understand what that could feel like for them, whether that's a participant, whether that's participating and being an audience member and a coach or a however they decide to be involved in that. But I also think some of the other researchers that we follow, like Shane Pill, um, who I I really love the way that he is trying to promote thoughtful athleticism and he's building on the work of other giants in that game sense field. I really want kids to value the thinking that goes behind the movement as well and not just be movers without really considering the other possibilities within that. So... I want to facilitate a learning journey that's movement-based for kids where they see themselves as the hero of that story. I love that. That's a, that's a fantastic way, way to put it. And I know you've done some, some work um, looking at that meaningful physical education um, approach. And um, I think if we rewind a little bit, like that's your philosophy now. When you came out of university, what did like was that what you thought of PE? Like how no. is your your thoughts around PE changed over your your journey through all these different places? I think I came out of PE confused out of, out of university. I was confused about what my 
place in all of this was. I felt like a little bit of a fraud because I didn't come from a sports team-based background myself and a lot of the colleagues in my new phys ed departments were all really amazing team athletes and I felt like I was letting them all down by not being that person. Um, I, I found it really difficult. Uh, I felt like I had to do so much learning about the skills we were teaching students. We must be teaching them these skills by doing these drills and then offering them to play a game. And I found probably that for the first five years, a lot of my learning was around um, the right drills and skills to teach sport. Um, and I found that really difficult. I didn't enjoy it. I learned a lot, but I had a lot of fights about conversations about, well, what are we doing with these kids who aren't interested in this? What, you know, and, and, and it was always like, well, they have to just do it. And I just thought that was, I couldn't see the purpose of that. Um, and of course you go along with that as a junior member of the department, you don't want to rock the boat of that situation. But I think it, it all came to an end for me when I worked with a colleague whose name is Simon and he, he had been a coach's coach and he taught me to observe and, and to really um, uh, work with students who were not those athletes and to really praise and admire and support students in their journey in a different way. He taught me to observe things I hadn't realised I wasn't observing, I think. Um, and it's that sort of approach that really opened my eyes to realise that, oh, gosh, all of these things that I've been feeling and thinking and trying to articulate, they actually have purpose and I'm allowed to voice them without feeling like I'm letting down the team, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. I think it's a really interesting one because I know one of the, the greatest – I guess, learning experiences that I had as a teacher is, is like filming mm. myself teach and actually then watching back what it is that, that I was doing. And, and when you're, when you're in that moment you're in the gym and you've got like 30 kids around you, you're not aware of, of the things you say or the things you do or the things that you don't say or don't do. Um, so actually being able to like step back and, and look at yourself teach, I think if, if you have the, the ability to do that, I think is a really valuable practice. It's probably going to be really uncomfortable. You're probably really not going to like what you see sometimes. But um, for me, I know that was a huge learning experience and, and really changed the way that, that I interacted with, with the kids around me. And, and I think you're right. Like we too often teach to the majority um, and we forget that, that, you know, those four or five or seven or eight or nine or 10 kids, depending on the class that, uh, that aren't really, you know, those athletic kids and, and often think that those, yeah, those are the kids that we need to focus on more because if you love sports and you love being active and you're involved in it outside of school, you're probably going to continue to do that. Whether I teach you PE or not, um, it's, you know, how do we reach those kids that don't have that positive experience and don't have that, that opportunity to be active, um, in a way that, that, that mm. I enjoy. I think it's also, I think the audience that I've been really trying to target is the kids who want to be involved, but uh, for some reason are finding that hard, whether it's confidence, whether it's social, whether it's experience, whether it's emotional, whatever it is that's inside of them that's inhibiting them from taking steps to take risks and feel safe 
to do that. I feel like that's where I've really tried to focus my attention on because I feel like that's a lot of our kids. I think um, we're in a society of instant gratification. I can Google and get the answer to anything I like, but phys ed is not like that. You have to actually work hard and you have to fail all the time and you have to be okay with that. Um, And I think as kids get older and you have a, a diverse range of learners at an older age group, that differentiation is huge. And so it's trying to get kids confident to still continue to play either because they don't have the same experience and confidence, et cetera, et cetera, as their teammates or our really confident, arrogant teammates need to learn to be more patient and kind and accepting community members. And so it's trying to sort of find the humanism in each of those kids and help them move along so that they can actually problem solve as a group and move forward and not feel overwhelmed by either someone's letting them down or I'm letting everybody down in this situation. And that's hard. I think that's a really hard skill set to bring into PE and it takes time. I think it's, I think it does take time, Nathan. I think you and I have had to craft our way through that. Yeah, I definitely, I think it, it comes back to, I think what you're talking about is relationships and, and being able to craft those relationships with between the teacher and the student, between the students and the students, um, I think is is really, really vital. And, and and like you said, that goes completely in opposition to that old school approach of, you know, teaching drills or teaching skills or, or playing games. You know, like I agree with you that, yeah, like for me it's more important that I actually get to know my students and I understand all of those things that you're talking about rather than, can I teach the kids to have the correct technique to, to throw? Because if I don't have that relationship with them first, it's going to be hard to, to get to that other stuff. Um, so I think that that's something that, that I think if you're a, a, a teacher who's listening to this and, and it's resonating with you, I think like that, focus on that, focus on those relationships first and, and, and then let the content sort of come in behind that. Yeah, and I think sometimes we can get caught up I don't want to take away from the skill and drill. There is a place for that. But I think you you need to, as you said, I think you need to build other things first so the kids trust you and trust that what you're offering them is solid advice or support or, you know, you're, you're giving them an opportunity to grow under their own inquiry of throwing. I mean, kids can throw a ball. They just have to pick it up and pin it at someone else. That's not, you know, everyone can do that without any help from anyone else. Um, so you need to provide the context and the space for them to want to develop that and learn how to do that in a way that's meaningful to them for whatever purpose, activity, friends, whatever it is that's going to motivate them into wanting to make that change. And I think that's what we need to do best as educators is discover what all those motivation points are and use those um, to help kids grow. But some kids aren't, I mean, I'm not the world's best thrower. (laughs) And I I still feel okay about that though. Like it's all right. It's not going to be the end of your life because you can't throw that tennis ball. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's been really interesting for me this year transitioning um, back into the middle school space um, after being like solely in the elementary school for like 10 years. So this year I'm teaching grade eight and it's been really interesting to, to see some kids who I taught when they were in grade five at the end of their elementary school journey and now in year in grade eight um, and just the change in their 
their motivation and their behavior and, and, and the things that they're interested in and their engagement in, in PE has been really, really interesting because um, I started the year and I was like, oh, I know these kids. Like I know how to, to connect with them. And it was like chalk and cheese. It was <laughs> like it's been incredibly challenging but at the same time incredibly rewarding to like see these kids in a completely different light and, and um, it's, it's really forced me to, to adapt my, my teaching practice as well between you know the way that I was teaching elementary school to the way that I'm now teaching teaching middle school so um, things definitely switch up there at that uh, you know grade five six seven um, age group there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on um, socially um, emotionally hormonally Absolutely. as well so, get those hormones yeah. out um, yeah i hear you yeah well you would know as a, as a mother of of kids of that age <laughs> um yeah so um i want to touch a little bit on um covid i guess because like all of us around the world we've really <laughs> been affected in the way that we teach and the way that we live has just been completely flipped on its head but you have a very unique situation that that you've been in for the past um guess what nine months now maybe ten months um so you mentioned that you're employed by the international school of beijing but you're now currently in canberra so walk us through walk (laughs) us through that yeah i think um we're all going to have these great stories nathan um and i i guess i would encourage everyone to write down theirs because while you're in it it feels like you're everybody's in the same narrative as you but gosh we're not we're we're all in different places and um, it will be really interesting to see what lessons we take from this back into our teaching as we move forward, I think. So uh, in late January, it was Chinese New Year, and my family and I, uh, who are currently living in Beijing, decided to fly to back to Yokohama to visit some friends for Chinese New Year. And whilst we were in Japan, our return flight to Beijing was cancelled, um, which threw us because that's obviously not what we were expecting. And when we investigated, we found that out while we were about to pack up and go to the airport. So that was a big shock. Um, and in investigating that, we discovered that um, the next flight out with this particular carrier had been cancelled as well. So that led us to feel a little uh, unsure about what we should do we had packed very light. We only had our ski gear with us and minimal anything else because we, we really were just ducking in to visit friends, ski with them and then fly home again. Um, but we made the decision since we couldn't fly back to Beijing, we had a chat with our school and they said, do what you need to do. So we, we rang my family here in Canberra and they said, yep, come to us. So we flew to Canberra. We left um, Japan in all our winter gear and arrived back in Australia, which was just coming out of its bushfire season where it was hot. We didn't have any summer clothes, so we had to go shopping and buy a whole outfit of clothes for kids. We didn't know how long we'd be here for, uh, and um, we didn't bring any computers or any work. We told the kids not to bring any work. We were just going to have this week off or everyone turn off everything and bring nothing. So we've been living probably... We started off by living week to week because we didn't know how long we'd be here for. But as the rest of the world shut down and as China really shut down, um, we lived here week to week. We finished school. We we did school online from February 4th until mid-June. 
Then we had summer here, which is winter here. Uh, And then we started, school opened in person in August and everybody who was in the country then or who was making their way back, we were all doing an approach. So if you were in in Beijing, you were teaching to kids in Beijing and if you were not, you were teaching kids online. So I was, and I still am some days, I am doing Ting's meetings with my classes in Beijing. So they are in the gym and I am calling in and I have a, some people I'm working with to help facilitate that learning space, which is, again, another interesting learning experience. Um, And so to start off with, my whole PE department was uh, out of country, so the whole department was working online. But one by one, they've all managed to arrive back. So they are all now in person at school, but I am not. Uh, And we will fly out in December, late December. And return to school in January. By the time we get back to school in person, we will have been away almost a whole year. We'll be two weeks shy of a year away. It's incredible. So it's been a pretty long journey. Um, As I was saying to you earlier, I think it was really hard to begin with because it was a big scramble. Everything was new. We didn't know what to expect. We didn't know how long this would go on for. We had a lot of technology issues and problems not knowing where kids were. We ended up with almost... 70% of our school population spread out all over the world and they've all had to come back at some point. So that's been hard. I think it's been really difficult for my own children. Um, But you just do the best that you can, right, and you try and remain positive. I've got lots of sticky notes up that you can't see around this room that I've been sitting in working with just positive messages to remind me what I need to do to remain consistent, I think, and, and really make sure we're looking after each other and doing the best that we can with, with, with what we can. But also celebrating all the positives, Nathan. I never thought I would live in Australia for a year with my children. That's been an incredible journey too. So there's, there's things to be thankful for, for sure. It's a pretty good place to be right now with uh, the way things are going around the world. So um, yeah, yeah. I guess what were what have been, I guess, the biggest takeaways in terms of like teaching remotely like what what's what's been the most important thing I think that you've that you've taken out of it like to do it really well what what what's really important um gosh Nathan you can put me on the spot I've already written a couple of articles on this and now I don't have them in front of me I think the main things um would be to look after yourself and to remember that your students are going to do the hopefully the best that they can manage with whatever else they've got going on. Everyone has their own baggage that they're bringing to this and to not take it personally. So I think so many times I read in Facebook forums or online, people are saying things like, no, the kids aren't doing this and they aren't on board with this and I'm trying all these things and they don't care or they're not interested. And I, I think you have to take a step back and you have to remember that we're all in a unique situation that is hard and we don't know what challenges our families are facing and they don't know the challenges that we're facing. So I think it's really important to just be patient and to not take it personally, to keep offering and to keep supporting and to keep trying to work with new ideas. Uh, But don't try too many new things and please assume best intentions. Um, We've tried to work with very minimal technology and repeat the same platform uses. So, for example, using Flipgrid, using Teams, using our management system for school, 
and trying just to keep it really simple so that kids are not feeling overwhelmed by you leaping about from technology to technology um, and, and really trying to scale things back. So instead of trying to achieve 50 things in a one-hour lesson, just really work with kids to see what is the optimal amount that kids can get through and then take some more off so that they're not overwhelmed by the pure amount of work that you're asking them to do. Uh, I have found offering student choice and trying to meet kids in the middle and, and asking them for advice. So um, through the units that I've built every other week, I'll send them a survey, a quick sort of five-question survey, asking them, what can I do to support you? Have you been able to find all the resources? What would be one thing that you'd like me to know that would make things better for you so that they can help craft the units and the way that you're delivering content to best meet their particular needs right now. So, yeah. So in terms of that, in terms of that content, are you still following curriculum as, as no. you would normally? Or we, sort of- we are more now because like 95% of our students are on campus. And so, yes, we've been able to jump back into um, offering more normal, I guess, stuff but uh when we were all online we were working really hard around active participation just getting kids active thinking about how they could be active and how we can offer them opportunities to be active whatever their environment whatever their timeline whatever their time zone just trying to come up with ways for them to engage with us Um, and the primary focuses were around things we talked about before how can I build relationships with these kids so they want to come back How can I make sure that what we're offering is really um, lots of options to allow them to participate in a way that is safe, comfortable and meaningful for them in their current environment? And how am I making sure that this content is user-friendly for our kids that are not English language learners as a first language? How am I offering opportunities for them to be successful in this space as well? So just I think we have to be really mindful I also know when I speak to other teachers how busy everybody is it's a lot of work to prepare this stuff and so I think we just need to also take a step back and breathe and just you know you you don't have to build the most amazing slide deck it's okay if it's a simple slide deck it's it's what you're trying to ask students to to go along with you in that journey that's what's important um, I think sometimes we forget that. Sometimes I see these amazing slide decks, but I can't actually figure out what people want in the learning. Like, what learning are you trying to help your kids with at that moment? I, I'm finding that hard. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting one because I feel like it's it's the same question that you can ask if you were to walk into a gym and the kids are playing a game, and it's well, what you know, what are they learning here, and and a good teacher I think can, can give you that answer. And, and you know, that, that maybe is a challenging question for some educators because they're just playing Mm. a game because that's a game that they know. And, um, but really keeping that student learning at the, at the center, I think is, is really important. And whether you're in person or whether you're virtual, um, I think, I think reflecting on my experience, um, of teaching remotely, like we were remote from March until June. Um, and yeah, definitely it started, very much like trying to do everything mm. um, and then realizing that like less is more 
um, and just engaging kids, like you said, with with stuff that's going to be meaningful to them and, and making them mm. want to do stuff, not do it because they have yeah. to do it. Um, because as PE, we're one subject in a kid's day of how many different things that they need to, to get done. So um, definitely interesting times and I think um, I really – admire the, the positive outlook that, that you have on this whole thing. And, and um, I, one of my questions was going to be, what are, what are some of the positives to come out of this? But I feel like you've already sort of touched on, touched on that but throughout I think, I think throughout Nathan, you and I also, um, like, we, we as phys edders, I think, have this, like this Peter Parker moment. We have the responsibility, if we take it, to really advocate for our profession through what we do online. Like so many teachers I'm seeing – uh, either being curbed by their administration or by their state or by their district or whoever is in charge. They're saying either P, you know, is optional or just send a list of ideas and they're really curbing that phys edu- physical educator's opportunity to really step up here. Like kids need to move. Um, and I, I really feel teachers who are not embracing even that simple message to parents of, Here's some ideas that kids could try at home that might keep them moving and keep you laughing today, you know, rather than let's do five push-ups and five burpees and call it a day. Like I don't know many kids that are going to be excited by that. So I think we've, we've got such a, such a huge opportunity here that some people have embraced and some people, unfortunately, whether it's because of them or because of their hands are tied, are going to miss the mark, and I'm really annoyed about that. Yeah, I think it's an it's to be honest. Like if I if I look back on this, I think it's it's like we talked earlier about that idea of you know people just doing the same thing that they've always done because that's that's you know we do a, we do a we do a basketball unit and we do this and then we do dance and then we do whatever. Like this has actually forced people to like not they've not been able to do mm. those things. Um, and I think it's been for me a really fantastic way. Um, I know even in in my department, like we completely like flipped upside down the way that we looked at things and said like, Hey, like recreation is super important. Like how can we get people just to enjoy being physically Mm. active? Because that's the situation that we're in. Um, You know, we're going to have some students who really want to develop their skills. So how can we help those? Um, You know, some kids are going to want to look at it from a fitness point of view, or some kids are going to want to look at this from just a recreational point of view. So like completely designed by the situation that we were in, now that we're back at school, we've completely changed the way that we do things. Um, and I think we're seeing a greater engagement from those kids that we talked about earlier that, you know, maybe weren't super engaged before because now they can see that like, Hey, like this is really important. It's really important that I like actually enjoy what I'm doing and, and find something that's, that's meaningful for me because when I was sitting at home on my computer all day, doing my work, I felt really <laughs> terrible. And when I actually got up and got to move and do stuff, whether that was go for a walk in my neighborhood or, you know, do something with my parents because they were the only people that I was near. Um, all of a sudden it was sort of like, Hey, like this is actually, this is actually good. So I think one of the great things that I've seen come out of this is like that family interaction mm. and families being active with, with each other that maybe, you know, before we're too busy, you know, I've got work, I've got this, we're off to this, um, after school activity or we've got this appointment to go to and now everyone's stuck at home and oh, hey let's go outside and like hit a badminton birdie around for a little while which is something that wasn't happening before so I really hope one of my great hopes is that 
after we sort of come out the other end of this, that like that's the stuff mm. that sticks, that, that people still want to get out into their neighbourhoods um, and explore or they still want to be active with with each other um, because we were forced to do it and, and hopefully people have, have seen the value in that and, and that it continues. I agree. I like that idea. I also would love, you know, I think in PE we can get very caught up in the visual of assessment, um, you know, I need to see you throwing that so I can tick you off that you can do that. Uh, whereas I, I think our department has really evolved to realise that if we have the right questions that we're asking students as part of a reflection process, you can ask them how it felt to do that. What did it feel like before, during and after that workout or that activity or that interaction? Um, and you can get to the bottom of connecting them emotionally and to the activities that they were doing and for them to recognise, like you said earlier, hey, it actually, although it was difficult for me to turn my computer off and get up and go outside, I really enjoyed doing that activity outside and I came back feeling super refreshed and ready to do another round of learning online. Um, and I think if we can really connect some of those dots for kids, they'll recognise the importance of creating that time and that they are much more conducive and um, constructive with the time that they have I think one of the things I've been working with kids online is to plan out their week so we've got our activity menu of options they've got things that they've talked with their family about and then they're plotting them into their weekly schedule a PE day looks like this a non-PE day looks like this because I'm working with kids who are still at home who aren't back in normal school and don't have regular activity hours so I'm trying to help them create flexibility in their schedule but still get them up and moving in ways that work for them and for their families. And I think that's been really good learning for some of our kids about how they can take control of that. Well, it's what we hope, I think, for our kids to be able to do when they leave us from school because, you know, once you graduate school, there's not a PE teacher there telling you what to do and how to be active all the time. So being able to actually... Well, they can be, but it's like $400 a month. Well, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so you know, we, we can give these kids these skills now. Um, it's it's going to help them hopefully when they when they come out come out of school and they've they've had experience and having to actually take control of their own, their own learning and their own physical activity as well. So... Um, I feel like we could we could continue on this this for a while, but um, I'm conscious of time, so and I don't yes. want to take up too much more of your time. So I want to wrap up with a couple of um, quick questions that I always try to ask okay. guests when I when I speak with them. So um, I have I guess three questions that I want to ask you, and just sort of whatever the first thing that comes comes into your mind. Um, so the first one is what is something that people don't know about Mel Hamada? Something interesting. Oh my goodness. Interesting. I don't, I'm not very interesting, Nathan. That's the problem, I think. Um, I love reading. I, I consume a lot of books. I've actually got a number of books on the table behind my computer. Um, I really enjoy reading. And I would say I'm quite extroverted. Uh, no, I'm not extroverted at all. I'm a serious introversion person. Uh, and I really love um, quiet quiet moments I find PE a very loud overwhelming sensory position at when I'm at work when I'm at home I really need very quiet in environments I think sometimes you can come across really extroverted at conferences or whatever but that's that's definitely not me yeah, I, I hear you there I hear you there what are you reading right now I am currently reading Helen Garner who's an Australian author 
Have you heard of her? Uh, no. She um, She's amazing. She writes very poignant books that sort of turn you on your head thinking about particularly famous cases in Australian court, courts and gets you to think about all the complexities and nuances of all of the different situations that those people have found themselves in and it makes you really think hard about what our society is going through and, and how we're placed within that. Yeah, interesting stuff. I, um, I think it is. No, it is. I, I, that sounds like, that sounds uh, no, like definitely think, really interesting. Like it's always like I love yeah. reading. Um, I think um, my wife always um, says to me, well, you only ever read books that are like, you know, nonfiction and, and like, but yeah, I'm really interested in, in stuff like that. Like thinking about things from other perspectives. Like I, I, I find it really difficult to sit down and read a, a novel that's just like, you know, an imaginary creation. Like I, I can appreciate the the beauty of that, but I, I love to read. Like, I think I read for information more than, more mm. than read for pleasure. I love reading fiction. Um, and I, I've tried really hard to read a lot of the books that my children are reading as young adults, just so we can talk with them about and find out what they're reading about and how it's influencing them as young people because they're, they're quite strong readers, my kids. But I really enjoy reading these Helen Garner's fiction. It's, not, it's nonfiction because I love the way that she constructs such complex webs around ideas that seem simple. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like thinking about how that is going to affect my children as adults in this landscape as well. I think it goes with everything that we've sort of talked about earlier with your, your reflective nature and trying to, to, to improve. So no surprises there. Um, okay. All right. Two more questions I have for you. So the second one is, um, all right, you have a time machine. Um, you can go in this time machine. You can go forward in time. You can go back in time. Um, it's a return trip. So you can go somewhere and then come back. Um, where are you going? Who are you seeing? What are you doing? Oh, gosh, Nathan, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. I really love living in the moment I'm in. Um, I think that's a good enough. I think that's a good enough answer. I like where I am. I've been working really hard to be more mindful of the space that I'm in, rather than trying to plan too far ahead. I think that's what this year has really given me. I cannot plan my way out of this. Um, that uncertainty about what life looks like. Um, it's actually been, I think, although in other circumstances it may have been horrible, I think it's actually been a privilege to learn more about how to cope with some of that uncertainty and to really reflect that some people will live in this uncertainty endlessly and how can I take some of this and empathise in that situation with people who are dealing with much more stress than I am. It's a fantastic answer, but much better than saying like, I want to go back and like watch an Elvis concert or something like that. So. <laughs> I could have said that, but I, I don't. <laughs> um, all right. And last one, I guess. Okay. You've got, uh, you've got 60 seconds. You've got the world's attention. Everybody's listening to you. Uh, what are you going to tell them? I think I would, at the moment, my message would be about keeping your loved ones close and making sure that you are living with them for the moment that you have um, and not 
getting too caught up in your own ego and in your own life to forget about the people around you who love you and support you and to make sure you are grateful and thankful for them and the time that you get with them. No better way to, to wrap that up, Mel. Um, I am super thankful to be able to uh, to connect with you again and it's been too long and I have to make sure that we don't wait this long again to, to catch up again. Um, I agree. But uh, I want to thank you for being on the Phys Ed cast today. For those people that um, – want to reach out and contact you what's the best way for them to to get in touch with you um i think probably through twitter would be the best way drop me a line um connect up on twitter mj hamada um i'm always excited to have professional conversations but beware i'm not one of those people that will send you a game and say try this out i will ask you a question um and ask you to explain what's going on with that learning or that thinking or that research and how you're applying that uh, and I will give you my full attention if that's what you need. Yeah, I can definitely attest to that. I think um, one of the things that I really appreciate you is, is yeah, being able to have those, those sort of conversations um, because I think they are few and far between um, in the phys ed world right now. So um, thank you so much. Um, and uh, everyone, thank thanks you, for listening Nathan. if you're still with us. And, um, yeah, we'll be back again soon with another episode of the phys ed cast. Thanks, Mel. Take care, everyone. Be safe. A huge thank you to Mel for giving up her time to be a guest on the Phys Ed Cast. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and conversation with Mel. For those of you who are wondering, she has now made it back to Beijing and is working very happily back um, at the International School of Beijing. For those of you who are still listening, uh, I would really love it if you could share this episode with, with one other person, with another teacher, friend, somebody who you think would enjoy this conversation to spread the word about the cast. Of course, rating and reviewing on iTunes also helps us beat the algorithm and get the show out to more people. But if you don't have time for that, just tell someone about this episode. Let them know that you enjoyed it and share it with them. I would really greatly appreciate it. Until next time, my name is Nathan Horn from iPhysEd.com and this has been the PhysEdcast. Cast.